Hey gang, welcome to episode 59 of the No Persinium podcast, your guide to immersive entertainment. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from Los Angeles. This week on the show, our guests are the power trio behind Play Collaborative Arts Venue. That's Nicole Rosner, Meredith Trinan, and Scott Monahan. We'll be talking to them about uh, about that Indiegogo campaign that uh, I'm all wrapped up and involved in. Uh, so we're going to be talking about some of the trials and tribulations of of trying to do art in Los Angeles, specifically performing art. So we'll get into that story. Um, so, you know, uh, we, we keep it on a positive note, but you know, it's not, it's not all rainbows and puppy dogs all the time. Um, I mean, puppy dogs aren't all rainbows and puppy dogs all the time. Let's be realistic here, folks. Like art is hard. If you want to make art, it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world. Um, but we do it because we love it. Uh, okay. So, Let's get into the show. As you know it, let's get to some news and notes, and then maybe I'll give you a little rant about something. Because um, I know so many of you, that's that's why you're here, right? You're here for the rants. Um, news and notes. Let's start in Los Angeles, because uh, the West Coast uh, has some action. The West Coast was the last issue that came out. A lot of you opened it. Thank you. That always makes me happy. Um the announcements included uh, some new stuff from Screenshot Productions, some of our favorites. Uh, they've got Bardo Thodol, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, uh, a multi-act immersive experience taking you through your own death and soul's judgment in the afterlife. Well, sign me up, mister, because that's what 2016's felt like already. Uh, it's in downtown LA, September 2nd through the 30th. Uh, I've got my appointment with the... Uh, judges of the dead. I was going to pick one of the Egyptian gods. I think it's Anubis. I can't remember right now. Like, look, I'm not an Egyptologist, but I know they exist. So uh, I got my appointment set up. Uh, looking forward to the show from Nicholas and company. Uh, just 50 bones, 50 bones to know if your heart is as light as a feather. Um, I mean, that's a steal. That's a bargain. Their, their horror show... Um, <clears throat> Because this this is not actually the the haunt, no no no, it's not the haunt for the year. Um, the 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 horror the spooky season show uh, that uh, they've got in October is called The Rope. Uh, it's set up a little differently. Uh, there's a bit of a you tell us when you can't make it, and then we'll tell you randomly when it's your turn. Uh, that's going on in October. And uh, tickets are also on sale for that right now. So for you, you serious uh, haunt fans and horror heads, go check out the rope. Also over at screenshot.productions. That's the website. No.com. The productions is the .com. What? Hey, uh, talking about uh, some more spooky season because even though it's August, it's here. It's here, right? You know, that's just what happens here in Los Angeles. Kind of love it. Um, delusion is back. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like the original, um, delusion is back. New show, his crimson queen, September 29th through November 13th. Uh, it's going to be 65 bucks and uh, they've been down for a year, but John Braver's back. Uh, they were trying to do a year round thing and you know, they ran aground, uh, you know, with some permits and some this and some that, I don't know. I I'm that supposition there. I don't know if it was permitting that did it or some other kind of deal. I, I sort of hand wave all the problems we have with stuff in LA as permits or land deals because it's usually one of the two, right? You know, I mean, hell, 
there's all kinds of things you could say are wrong with LA because of permits and land land deals. Uh, but you know, at least we're not other parts of the country where there's just no land to be had. Maybe we should all move to Cleveland or Detroit. They're not bad places. I'm not saying that like punitively. If you're sitting in Cleveland, you're like, no, I mean, there's there's stuff going on there and land's cheaper. I mean, we could buy like we could collectively buy like a six bedroom house in Cleveland for like a hundred thousand dollars and like turn it into like a permanent immersive workspace. I'm just floating an idea here. Anyway, um, delusion. It's back. You probably want to check it out. I know I want to check it out. Uh, they've been around since I think 2011. They've been doing this. They've been doing this longer than I have. So uh, go go give yourself a treat and check out Delusion this year. It'll sell out. So you know, act fast. I gotta talk to them myself. Otherwise, I'll miss it, and I don't want to miss it. Okay, uh, what else is coming to LA? LA. Um, you know, I I get a feeling Indiecade, which is going to be also in October, uh, like the middle week of October, like around the 13th, 14th, 15th, around there. Um, got a feeling it's going to be interesting this year. I should have some more details on that relatively soon and sometime in the next couple of weeks, get a, get a stronger sense of what's going on there. Just a, a birdie, a birdie is telling me something's up, something's up. I mean, it's good every year. So, but maybe something's up, maybe something's stirring. We'll see. Uh, let's go to New York. Here's a festival that's, that's happening in New York. Wow. What a, my transition game is off this week. I am sorry, everybody. Fast fest. Fast fest. That sounds like something you drink. Well, it's the future of storytelling fest. You're thinking of a phosphorus, which is a whole nother thing. Uh, but here's what Fast fest is. 75,000 square feet of exhibits, over 50 hands-on technology demos, interactive installations, multi-person VR theater, panel discussions, live performances, and much more. There's a uh, Organizations across New York City who are hosting a bunch of satellite events. A lot of the big immersive theater pieces are are being uh, hooked up to the train here for the FOST. The future of storytelling event for the past few years has been this, um, this, this sort of like brain trust of like the best people in advertising and immersive and publishing hanging out in New York. The tickets have been really expensive, but this year they're doing a festival and they're opening up the playground where a lot of the experiments are in three hour blocks. Uh, it's a $65 ticket. Uh, that's the early bird prices, which are on sale right now. If I was in New York, you know, I'd be going to check out what's up. Um, check it all out. It's, uh, at Fostfest dot uh oh, I wrote I wrote this down. I wrote this down, and then I didn't. I believe it's fostfest.org. It might be nope, fostfest.com. It's it's usually one or the other, unless you're screenshot, in which case it's dot productions. But it's usually dot org or dot com. Sometimes I make the old Austin Powers joke. Dot org dot com. Um. Okay, Vegas. Why? Hey, what kind of questions? Why? Really? Where did that come from? Why Vegas? There's plenty of good reasons for Vegas. I happen to like the desert a lot. It's been like three years since I've been. I go. For, I literally I go for the desert and the uh, and the pinballer museum because the, the both are rad. Um, but you know what else? Hopefully is rad. And I say hopefully because I haven't seen it. No one's reported back to me yet. And you know me, like I don't vouch for anything if I haven't seen it myself. But I have great hope, and the great hope is that Cat's Meow, which is about the mysterious death that occurred on William Randolph Hearst's yacht, uh, is 
back. It's a return engagement. So, you know, you know, people liked it if they, they brought it back. And it's happening at the Velveteen Rabbit, which is um, uh, a popular cocktail lounge in Vegas, like the real Vegas. And uh, over there on South Main Street, it's got a run that's going uh, through September 4th. So uh, it's a longer run than last time, if memory serves. It's an intimate staging of the play. Uh, I think it's probably site responsive. This is the folks who brought Motel to town, to Vegas, uh, last year, two years ago. So they've definitely trucked in the site-responsive, site-specific type of work before. If you are listening to this and you're in Vegas or if you're going to be in Vegas and you're crossing over with the Times, you can check out the West Coast newsletter and you want to do a little scouting mission for me, I would be very, very appreciative because I want to know what the work is. Um, The schedule prevents me from running out to Vegas right now myself. The thought did cross my mind. Okay. Um, Finally, news and notes. Happy birthday. We've never done this before. What? It's a happy birthday. Happy birthday to Jeff Leinenweber, who is one of our original Patreon backers. He is one of the rocks upon which the Church of No Presidium is founded. Without Jeff, you could not hear this show right now. I am not actually exaggerating. It's all his fault. And today's his birthday. So happy birthday, Jeff. I hope you've recovered from your trips abroad and that... uh, we sit down and get coffee and and shoot the breeze. I was going to say the other thing, but I, I, then I remembered the the clean version of that. Uh, shoot the breeze again. Compare notes. I know we've seen some shows, um, and we can uh, we can do what we've done before. Looking forward to that. Maybe we'll even do it on the show. It feels right. It feels right that we should do that on the show. You're also a, a, a designer for a, a rather large concern, so I think people might be interested in what you have to say. But anyway. All right, all right. Enough kissing up to the to the patrons. Uh, but it is their birthday. They deserve it. Happy birthday, Jeff. Now, before we start, although maybe you do not want me in the condition I'm in right now because I'm only halfway through the coffee, uh, just a tiny little rant. Um, it's not really so much a rant as an observation, so this will be quick. It will be quick. Um, the details. I've been thinking about this a lot lately in both my VR and my immersive theater experiences that the, one of the tricks, one of the secrets seems to be not nailing all of the details. And I've talked about this before, but I just want to reiterate this. Just you nail one or two details, you get the verisimilitude right. And it helps people leap in with their imaginations because the nature of this work is not trying to browbeat people into suspension of disbelief, but to invite them into an act of co-creation. It's the kind of thing that a great writer does by, you know, filling in, giving you, giving you blank spaces to fill in and giving you just enough description for you to sort of make your own. Think of all the movie adaptations you've seen where the characters don't quite match up to what was in your head. That's actually the sign of some really great writing. And there's a similar principle at work in immersive and in virtual reality experiences, anything that engages in this way. So don't sweat getting it all right, particularly not when you don't have the money to like, I don't know, build a planet from scratch or something, but nail a few telling details and the imagination will do the rest. And you know what? People tend to love that even more. Okay, that's enough from the philosophical side of my brain today. I hope that was coherent. We're about to jump into 
our interview with the folks at Play Collaborative Arts. The Indiegogo campaign is still going right now, even as I speak. And indeed, there'll be there'll be a, some about that in the interview. I'll see you after the interview. Here we are. We're we're back in Play Collaborative Arts space. I'm with I'm with the gang. Uh, let's let's identify voices. So everyone unfortunately knows my voice. Um, no one recognizes me on the street by voice alone. At least that hasn't happened yet. One day soon. Uh, but let's start on my right. Hello, my name is Cole, and this is my voice. And in the middle of the couch, opposite me. Hello, I'm Scott. All right, and finally. Hello, I'm <laughs> I'm Meredith. All right. This is everybody. So most of you know by now, I hope you know by now, geez, uh, we've been doing this Indiegogo campaign because uh, Play is looking to go legit. But for those who don't know, someone should take this part because we, we haven't, we, we, I've done this on the show a couple of times, but uh, let's give the backstory here. So like what is, why is there a campaign to legitimize Play? Who wants to who wants to dive in and take Cole smiling? So I guess it's her. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we'll do the brief one. So, so um, Play Collaborative Arts ran underground for the first two years, which really just meant that we put up the type of work and hosted the type of work that we wanted to see in downtown LA, um, and we did it in a really beautiful space that is an art gallery. But in our third year. <clears throat> the cops came by and let us know that we were missing a lot of our permits and licensing and building code to use the existing space as a performance venue. So we started this process of going legit so that we could still host all the things that we had hosted and produced in our first couple of years in the same space legally. And what's interesting about where you guys are situated is that this is a part of the arts district that is rapidly gentrifying, you know, no, no, no way around that terminology. And literally next door, Soho House Southeast, or where they're calling it, like here in LA is going up. So it's gonna be the, the arts district version of Soho House is happening, like that was used to be the downtown rehearsal space, and so we have musicians leaving. Up the street, there's the Ford factory. There's also Stumptown Coffee and Mast Chocolate and HD Buttercup, and like all this stuff is kind of coming in here. And some stuff's coming in and also like jumping out at the same time. There was that taqueria that was here for like four months. What was that? Was that, which one was that? Do you guys remember? Was that Petty Cash or Broken? Petty Cash. It was Petty Cash. Yeah. It was like the, yeah. So one instance of Petty Cash. That was a big opening, but like there's, there's nothing to hold uh, people staying. After so then, there's been some stuff that's here a long time. Like just up the street and around the corner is where the Deja Claret has been playing. So if you guys have seen that, we are we are literally like a five minute walk from that space. Um, you have places like the Wolf, that is right next door to us practically, um, and they're getting shut down as well. They they thought they had longer in their lease, but they're getting pushed out. Developers are taking over. Developers are the same that uh, own HD Buttercup in that building and. We've talked to those developers. They came in here to look at our walls inside our space because they connect to the space next door. And we asked them how would they feel about keeping arts and the arts district and that they need to think about that. And they're like, well, we are. We're doing HD Buttercup. It's it's furniture for the people. And it's it's artistically curated. And like, yes, it is. And they have a gallery space in there. But 
um, it's <laughs> you have to look beyond that. Yeah. You have to look beyond, um, you know, what is artistic and and what is the importance of having live performance yeah. and why it's important on the street. And there's there's so many developers when I'm having conversations with people and we're trying to see like, oh, can we inject some you know site specific art you know work into this place. And the, the people who are curating these spaces for them, they're like very happy that they've got, oh, like we've got artisanal necklaces and like we're gonna have an art gallery space in here. And I'm like, all I see is like, okay, that's that's like the, you come out of Star Tours in Disneyland and there's the place that's got like the Yoda hats, right? You know, there's Star Traders is what it's called. Yeah, and I knew what it was called. I didn't have to like make you pretend I didn't know what it was called. Like, I don't just need Star Traders everywhere. Like I need, I need a show, I need a thing, I need something that happens in that space that's not just like buy a thing, right? Like galleries are great, like, but like I, I go to maybe like I Am 8-Bit, which is like my favorite gallery because it's like a video game gallery, right? Like I'll go in there like three times, three, four times a year, maybe like to two shows because the show is a theme that I want and maybe I'll buy a piece of art or maybe I'll buy like a tchotchke, but I'm going to theater, I'm going to music venues, I'm doing that all the time, that's the lifeblood. I don't just... I don't want to just buy the 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 merchandise. Like that's not you enough. Want to, you want to experience. Yeah, that's, that's what the what whole show's think, about, right? That's what I think people are are looking for in a night out, in a day out, and you know, you we are all craving live experience, live you know exposure to other human beings talking about the human experience and struggle and the activism that exists in just doing theater on its own. So that's that's the core of what of what the campaign is about is like keeping that kind of work here in the arts district. We have to say keeping arts in the arts district, um, and not meaning just like I can buy a really cool couch, right? You know, like that's that's fine. What are you going to do on that couch? Well, let's not talk about what you're going to do on that couch. Um, maybe that's, that's another, another show. Podcast. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's not erotica. No, <laughs> but this has been a educational process to say the least and part of the campaign is about sort of exposing that so like one of the themes of this week in the campaign is actually process and and Meredith you had actually had an angle on this uh, talking earlier about you know just like theater oh now you're looking oh. yeah talking about talking about theater and like just like it's well take us through that take us through that I don't want to steal your words yeah so I we've been um, sort of talking about keeping this process really transparent um, to the community and to our community of supporters and artists that we are collaborating with all the time. Um, and something that we sort of, like creating theater is already hard. Yeah. It's already hard to do. And getting harder all the time here in LA. Um, in this city especially. So, it, you know, the lack of accessible space and the lack of a clear path to turn um, spaces that aren't being used, um, our space in particular, um, it, 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 it's even harder. There's yeah. not a clear path for us right now. Yeah. Um, so we, we feel strongly that we should be making arts more accessible and easier to make, easier to create, easier to sustain, yeah. um, and not making it harder, which is sort of what we've been finding over the last several months through the building code process um, we we can see the city making have the city having made decisions to make um, entertainment venues safer 
but that can sometimes be, most of the time, for DIY spaces, cost prohibitive. Right. And they change by the year. So something that was okay in 2012, no longer okay in 2013. So um, I think we said this in our video, it's really hard to catch up. It's like, oh, okay, this venue will work for us because the bathroom is handicap accessible. And then they've changed that. You need to have now four bathrooms for that same amount of occupancy. Um, or egress, which is the exits that you need in case of emergency. It's like, oh yeah, this space will work because we've got an exit out the back through our storage room. That's great. Well, that was changed in 2013 that you need to be 30 feet from two exits at all times. So if you're in a bigger space, um, which theaters need a lot of space for, for set and seating, and even if it's a smaller um, occupancy level, so then using that non-traditional venue that's not set up to be an entertainment venue can no, is no longer possible. But we've got all of these places around town that are grandfathered in with small bathrooms and not enough exits, and they're able to produce work. But unfortunately, because of money, those spaces have been turned into bars. And bars are really fun, but that live entertainment portion of it is taken out, and they aren't often doing live music or theater or comedy, yeah. um, even though they're grandfathered in. So it's taking it's taking the performance out of the spaces. I start to think of a city and and the arts and particularly Los Angeles. Right? I mean, New York, New York has a certain advantage in insofar as that theater is an industry there, and there's like money that flows through Broadway, and some of it spills off, and there's off Broadway, and there's off off Broadway, and all that entire dynamic. Right? What's interesting about Los Angeles, in my view, is we are the entertainment capital of the planet. Uh, and yet for the city itself and for the industry as a whole to be like healthy, that means there needs to be a certain amount of circulation, right? Like performing arts is the lifeblood of the creative lifeblood of the, the whole planet's entertainment industry. And if you can't, you can't discover new voices, you can't experiment in, in new forms, you know, people will go elsewhere. And it's this sort of irony in that like so much of production goes like outside of LA and it goes into these other cities and sometimes these other cities are places that are able to sustain these, you know, living arts activities are going on, you know, like there, there, there's theater popping off there, there's, there's music popping off there and that plays into where productions happen and who gets cast and like all of that sort of stuff, you know. Performers need to stay sharp by working in, 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 in live spaces. And on the immersive interactive side, there's this whole language that's being developed in terms of this intimate immersive interactive work that's going to play into the entire VR performance industry and motion capture and all of that stuff. And film. All and of it. film. It's merging. Yeah. <clears throat> and so much of that is happening you know, some of it's happening up in the Bay Area in terms of the tech, but in terms of like building the content, it's happening here in Los Angeles and the pioneering is happening here. And that there's, that it's a struggle for these companies. And it usually is, it's, it's companies like yours who are just starting up, who are experimenting with this stuff because the, the pre-existing companies, like Center Theater Group isn't going to be like, let's do an immersive. Or if they do, they're gonna do an immersive that's like really like, let's do what's proven. You know, like the, the risks that are being taken, mostly because their audience 
doesn't know how to react. We've, we've, we've talked about this before. It's like, you know, like the first year when Immersive Interactive drops down somewhere, the audiences are like, we can, we can move. You were telling me a story the other night, right? About like one of the first things you saw here, right? Yeah, we, we planned for um, a New York audience, I guess, and we did have audience plants and what we, ha- we call journeymen that sort of swoop through the audience and help move everyone to where the action is and we use light popping up in a corner of a room and sound popping up far away so that you see it happening down on the other end of the space and you realize that's where the next scene will happen but in 2012 or 2013 when I came to do a show um, we put all of those devices in in effect and the audience didn't follow they didn't follow the characters they didn't follow the journeymen and they were very confused. We had to tap them on the shoulder and say, it's okay to walk up to the actors yeah. to see them, come closer to this tub scene or come closer to this stage. Um, and now it seems like the audiences are, are getting a hang of it, but you need space to experiment with how these new forms will be taken in by an audience who are used to sitting in a chair yeah. to I think, watch theater. I think also something that you were just saying about um, artists going to other places it, that is what's happening, and I, I don't know how many articles I've read about. I'm leaving LA, rent is too expensive, or I'm leaving LA and I'm moving to Tennessee, or I'm going to Atlanta, or I'm going to New Orleans, and all that's great. But there, there needs to be people, and there are people that are staying here. We are one of them, that believe that the work is important here in Los Angeles, where yeah. where all this development is happening, where all this change is happening, where yeah. all this money is. Yeah. Is that it? Just a redistribution to to these theater companies of you. You want to make LA a big emerging art city? Well, then you know here's your chance. There's Two Bit Circus. There's Speakeasy Theater Company. There's The Wilderness. There's uh, Play. There's Think Tank. There's The Wolf. There's um, I mean, those are just a few that come to mind. Montserrat. There's tons of these spaces that are just creating such amazing amazing work and vital for the community and for the arts mm-hmm. and. We're looking to find a way to be transparent so our support can be the support for this entire community. And I, and I, mean, I see it from like a, a, a network and ecosystem. And I say network, but really, in my mind, ecosystem, right? Because we have the big studios here. We've got the agencies here. And we've got you know, creative agencies on the west side. And we've got you know, digital, you know, the YouTube space. And we have all these, these things that are these entities that are trying to figure out what you know the future of entertainment looks like and the same thing happens in New York but like here it's 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 our major industry right and people go to other cities and like you're saying it is great right and like they carry some of these West Coast values into the heartland and like thank God for that I mean I was just in Cleveland recently and I was like wow you know it'd be awesome to like keep on injecting and it's also cheap to live there and the same thing happened in Detroit right like these people are like moving into these spaces and it's going to have this nice effect in terms of like the overall culture of, of, of America but I'll also sit down and have a conversation with someone like who's like a writer and it's like you know yeah I'd love to live somewhere where it's cheaper but like this is an industry of relationships right so the relationships are here and what people even think is possible right like the imaginations I'll be blunt you know like the imaginations of a studio chief are not that great right they're numbers guys like they they're conservative in terms of how they approach things in terms of what they back in terms of what's possible and then other folks come along and disrupt stuff but they have to be sort of convinced that it works 
the fun thing about the experiential work is that you can like bring people to stuff and they can feel it and they can see it and they can like immediately yeah and if that work's not happening here then they're not gonna get it and that just means it's a slower sloggy process to sort of convince people that this is where it's going. Same time, like I was down like VRLA yesterday, recording this on the weekend, and watching people line up for all like the immersive stuff, and just seeing where you know, on the VR side, and seeing where that sort of experiential stuff is going, and seeing people make connections, and seeing people, you know, jump into stuff that's embodied in a way like never was before, and and having conversations with folks and them saying like, oh yeah, like, like the VR filmmakers are like, oh it's more like theater than it's like film. And then I broach, like, well, it's more like immersive theater. And, like, they may not have seen any, and they don't understand. But, like, here's this solution, right? Here's this in intimate work. And it doesn't even have to be immersive. Just, like, that it's intimate, that it's happening in a, in a, in a non-traditional space, and that it's happening in a way where the audience feels more of an of immediate connection. Um, we, we have to hold space, for that, we or if nothing like if nothing else like injected into the spaces that we can find, yeah. And there's a there's a potential golden age here in LA of this kind of work, and I feel the stirrings. Like I've been talking to people at like the Department of Cultural Affairs, and there's other folks around town, and like everyone recognizes the need, and I think there's this wave happening in terms of what's happening in in performing arts here that there's this, this great potential but it's it's definitely not one that's going to happen without a fight yeah right? i think i think something that i love about this city is that because it is relatively new comparatively in you know if you take east coast versus west coast right and how the the pilgrimage across the country took place biggie versus tupac yes yeah, exactly <laughs> west coast west side <laughs> um i think that things are getting done here people are um it is it is a fight, but I also think that people are listening, and that just means we need to speak up. Mm. And I think that's what our campaign is about. Um, I like that. Every backer that contributes to our campaign is not just backing play collaborative arts; it's backing immersive theater. And every backer number that we take to local businesses and to bigger funders to say, "Look, there, these, this is the amount of people. This is what our community. This is what this network says about you know." theater, immersive theater, and venues like this being important. And the more spaces that stand up and do this activism on their own or that come together and um, join up for this for this fight that, that you're calling it, um, the more that we're going to see come back. You know, where, where awareness goes, energy flows. That, that energy is getting put into this, and that's going to happen. And that's what our campaign is about, and that's why every contribution makes a difference. $5, even a $1 contribution is another backer to our campaign and raises the awareness. Yeah, the numbers numbers on a crowdfunding campaign are really interesting. Like, I've been studying this stuff for a long time and like working with a few people, and you know, the crowd part of crowdfunding is some of the most important. I mean, when we go back, when we go back and we see like the origins of Kickstarter, you know, it was really coming out of this period of time when people like Kevin Kelly were talking about a thousand true fans. And this idea that if an artist could find a thousand true fans who would like, you know, buy, because Kevin Kelly's, you know, one of the founders of Wired and comes out of the capitalist model, you know, anyone who's willing to buy everything that artist makes, then that artist can have a sustainable career. Mm -hmm. And and that's that tweak on, you know, the, the capital model. Like the goal isn't necessarily I mean, it's great to be like hyper profitable, it's great to be able to plow money back in and like do all this stuff, but but for most of human history, just the idea of a sustainable career, like that that was enough, right? And, and that's definitely something that play 
Cole, I know you're big on this idea of like sustainability and making sure that things can change. And it's not like, you know, anyone would object to a business model appearing where like you guys build something and then like, and, like market it and like sell a gajillion and then like a like, step back and be like, this is on autopilot. But it's, it's not necessarily about, you know, making a product. It's, it's as much about making sure that the process can continue and that new work can be created. Yeah, and that, that work is accessible as far as price point for tickets. Yeah, that's a big thing for you. Yes. Um, something I heard, I've been hearing recently is like, you've got to make it, you've got to make it commercially viable. And it, it, it's something that we're talking about all the time, which is um, it should be viable. But I'm not sure about commercially viable. I'm not sure what that means mm. um, in contrast to allowing an organization to grow organically and keeping that intention that everyone gets paid and that you're looking at the model across a year so that you program certain things that make money and other things that don't need to make money so that you can really experiment right. and offer things for free or offer things to the artistic community who can't afford that ticket price while still programming with such a keen eye to finances in a, you know, a smaller way that, that the artists and the staff are still being paid. And right. that you're still um, making the stand that this type of work has value, even though film and the internet have taken over our attention span, as opposed to live arts or communal sort of experience-based things. Um, we can we know that it has value, and we see how much the audience enjoys being a part of this type of work. So it's it's looking at all of those elements and saying how can we be viable as a business while remain um, um, innovative. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's interesting to me is that you know, some of the stuff that's most popular in the immersive space or in the experimental space, um, you know, you'll, you'll see notes about like, oh, that show, like they don't treat their staff and performers well. Like people aren't getting paid. You know, you hear that kind of back channel stuff all the time. And this is among some of the most successful stuff. And so you then sort of said, like, well, you know, is it, is it, if it's not working at that level, is it sustainable at all, right? Like, how big does the ticket price have to be? But there's, sometimes I'm sitting there going, like, well, how much are they, how much value is being extracted out at the top level? Because we see things getting turned into, you know, I mean, the model, the core model at the end of the day, right? Some of the model looks a lot like the theme park model in that it's the concessions that are being sold which are like driving the whole thing. And like everyone I know who like tries to sustain long term, it's like kinda need a liquor license and kinda need to sell some kind of merchandising on top of it because that, that floats the entire thing. But if there isn't an event happening, then there's no there's no draw. And so that's why I look at the way the art district is developing, it's like, oh, we dropped an HT Buttercup, you know, like we dropped, you know, we dropped Petty Cash, and it's like, Petty Cash was here. It got this massive, massive talk up, and then it was gone because there was nothing to do except go to Bestia or go furniture shopping after you ate a meal, and like, you're not going to eat a meal and then go eat a m meal, you know, like, not everyone's <laughs> going to do that. Eat a meal, have another coffee. Yeah, have another coffee. Get get yeah. some buy chocolate. Go to tea. Buy a rug and go home. Yeah, buy a rug and go home, right? Like, that's not an afternoon, right? You know, like, you need a full cycle. It's like, there's a reason why there are movie theaters and malls. 
you know, like if nothing else, you know, give you two hours to digest before you go have your second meal. There's also like, there's also a reason why like the malls are pushing towards there being more about food courts, right? You know, you look at Westfield and they're programming in like, we're going to get like the best dining experiences, right? Along with your Apple store and your Nordstrom's, right? So like the, the character of what we go out for is changing, yeah. but experience and then you look at Disneyland or you look at Universal and you look at how many people go through those turnstiles and you start to realize, oh, people go to experience something that they can't get at home. Like it's, it's, it is as freaking simple yeah. as that. We talk about that, I think, all the time. We're like, we're happy for all the, the developers to come in. We're happy for there to be like Bestia, this beautiful Italian restaurant and Stumptown down the street and you can get a beautiful coffee. And I'm even happy for HG Buttercup to be selling their beautiful sofas. But if there's nothing else to do, there's no point. Yeah. I think and, that's, and we really, it's yeah. like, let's protect the artist and let's, you know, create yeah. an environment where they can be sustainable in the arts district. If you're creating an amusement park, you know, then you're going to create all the right you're going to create the rides as well is yeah. what you're saying and I yeah. think that's I think that's what um, I don't think that it's being totally overlooked I think there's a small amount of awareness that some of these bigger developers have for that yeah. I just think that the attention needs to be sparked a little bit more at a higher level yeah. because I don't think they're all bad I just think that there's no. they're, they're either developing from other countries or they're looking at the numbers and I, I honestly, what, that, that apartment building that's going to be built there, that's great for a theater venue. But if that apartment building pushes out the theater venue, then those people that are living in that building don't have anything to do. And the art district is great, and downtown is awesome, but I, I want people that live in those buildings, and I want people from the Ford Mall, and I want places like Hyperloop that's right down the street. I mean, that's an incredible business to have there. I want them to have a show to go to. I want them to have a place to let off some steam from their work week that is different than, um, than a drink or, yeah. or, or some, some events and experiences that might make them think about their work a little differently or remind them why they are living in the arts district or why they came to LA in the first place. Yeah. I'm, I'm really paranoid about the idea of a vision of the future where it's the historic arts district, right? Yeah. You know, we, we, like... The expediter that came in here literally said, um, he, he was like, it's just going to be called the Arts District. There won't be arts in it anymore. And that was his view yeah. from a developer standpoint. We're like, are, you cannot hold on to that view. You, of all people that are in here talking to us, the artists, you have to change that perception of the future yeah. and say, no, this is your opportunity. I mean, so, we, don't, we don't want a ghost. We don't need a ghost town just east of downtown in Los Angeles. Like, we don't need you know, lofts upon loft upon loft that half of which are Airbnb units and the other half are, like, maybe occupied by USC students, you know, whose parents have enough money to, like, buy them something. And then, like, it just, you know, goes away during the rest of the year. You know, we have a housing crisis here in town, and so we need more units for certain. But, I mean, gods forbid that we, that we just, we just build suburban enclaves within the city borders that don't have an identity to them past a bedroom community. I watched it happen in San Francisco. I will not let it happen here. Yeah. Period. End of story. End of story. End of story yeah. and end of, not negative, but dark, yeah. <laughs> dark pro pro uh, projection of the future. Yeah. And some really great positive stuff has happened 
for play and is happening in this city and specifically has happened on our campaign. We had um, one of our biggest backer days of $945 on the same night that we hosted Tiny Rhino at ArtShare. Um, ArtShare is another artistic space in the Arts District run by Cheyenne. Um, been there that, for 20 years. Been there for 20 years and that collaboration with them has given us a home while Tiny Rhino hasn't been here. We've been able to take that show on the road and we had a vast network, six plays directed by six different directors, fairy tale edition, curated by Brian Gaskill, and it was a really awesome night of, you know, a hundred and something people in that room to watch live theater. And the, the community really su supported and responded to our Indiegogo campaign. That was exciting. Yeah. No, and, and, and that's the thing, is like, we know, we know the audience is there. We know that, that the hunger for something it, it definitely exists, and we know people keep discovering it, right? And so that's just something that, that we're all constantly. I mean, that's why that's why NoPro exists in the first place is to like help people find the stuff, and the list keeps growing, and the the people keep coming, and that's that's great. And so that means everyone's taking everyone's trying to take bigger risks, and and thank God for that. But it's definitely the time. There's there's a feeling to me, and I think I may have said this already, uh, that there's a there's a rising wave here in the performing arts in LA. And I know I said that earlier when we were talking, and I might have said it when I, once the microphones came on as well. And I think now there's a point where like the wave is cresting, and it's time to start you know finding a way to surf that wave and finding finding a way to turn some of this stuff into, if not full on institutions, then find a way to turn uh, you crystallize some of the activity here so that stuff doesn't just have to always be you know pulling a permit you know when you got an event and throwing something together ad hoc and you know not just like desperately trying to find who's willing to like throw a space open for a site specific piece but like knowing that the people who have the spaces know that the companies are doing site specific and then the people that are having places to incubate because like the thing about play is that it's an incubator of this kind of work and making sure that enough of these incubation spaces stay active and alive so that we can just keep on growing, growing the scene um, like, you would, like you would raise a child, yeah, I suppose. It's hard you know? to... These are the terrible twos. We're in the terrible twos right now. We're going to get through them. It's going to be great. Kindergarten's coming, and at least for a few hours a day, they'll be out of the house. So. Well, we're really thankful for the no-pro community that it exists, that people are listening to this podcast and sharing things around and connecting with you and that you're covering so much in the city so that people even know where to see immersive theater. Because sometimes I, I talk to people about it. It's like, no, it is happening in LA. There yeah. are shows and they're like, what? Where is it? This fate's underground. How do I find it? I'm not cool enough. And it's like, no, it's happening. Like we're getting infrastructure for that, which I'm really thankful for. And I think it's only going to grow as all the New Yorkers come over and move to the West Coast. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it will become more commercialized. It will become readily available. All of that is great, but yeah. let's band together and keep this more intimate style of incubation for this type of art alive. Yeah, and, and, and space, space for these artists and these companies to devise their work. It takes space. Some, some yeah. companies are working out of their, we were um, working out of their house and you know, rehearsing scenes in their bathrooms and living rooms that are then gonna be transferred into a space. But if you're doing site-specific work, you need to know what it feels like in that alley in order to give the, the correct energy of that scene to transfer that to the audience. 
Yeah. And that's something that we've been really lucky to do here at Play is our shows are devised in this space, this energy that we live and sleep and work in that creates that feeling of knowing of the space. And that, immersion. And immersion. Yeah, immersion. Yeah. We, are, we are fully immersing ourselves <laughs> <laughs> into this venue. Um, we are in the walls. We're talking from a brick. Yeah. So. Pretty much, actually. There's brick everywhere. All right. <laughs> and wood. And wood. Well, we definitely have a work cut out for us. Um, the, the campaign carries on, and the campaign will continue to carry on even once they're, the Indiegogo part of it passes on. But what, what I'm glad and what I'm, what I'm thankful for in terms of you guys is that you put your heart and soul into this, and you put your creativity and your cleverness, and there's, there's no doubt in my mind that no matter what the future holds, that play is going to be going to be bringing the collaborative spirit into the LA art scene for a long time to come and that's because of the three of you above among, above everything else so oh, thanks, thanks, Noah. Oh, look, I got them smiling <laughs> we've been all glum today but I got them <laughs> smiling guys um, all right that's that's enough for the episode for now um, we'll uh, we'll be back in the in the near future and of course there's always the closing section where I tell you how to find everything right after this non-existent music break do do da da Look at that creative. <laughs> Once again, want to thank uh, our friends at Play Collaborative Arts, Nicole, Meredith, and Scott, for being our guests on the show today. Uh, let me put my campaign manager hat on for a second and give you the brass tacks. So, we're as I record this, we're, the campaign still is under five thousand dollars, and the major goal is uh, seventy-five thousand dollars. You can do the math, um, but I do remind everyone this is a flexible funding campaign, and that means that every dollar that comes in is going to help uh, grease the tracks here. And uh, there's there's it's it's like a branching path video game. There's a lot of different things that'll happen or can happen. The ultimate overarching goal is that there is a space where the experiments that play does can continue. Uh, the continuum of things that are possible within that um, include just a, you know versions of reality where you know, play does not disappear from this earth. Uh, that is not an outcome I want. So if you have it in you, every backer helps. At this point, in some ways, the backer number is almost as important as the amount of cash that is raised. If we can get the backer number up, then we're able to make the case to institutional support structures that, hey, look, you know, people people jumped on board. And people are jumping on board, and that really matters. You know, like we're not going in completely empty-handed here when we have those conversations and we talk to local businesses and all that other stuff. So uh, drop by the Indiegogo campaign. Uh, if you go to Indiegogo.com and it's Play Collaborative Arts, the campaign is called Legitimize Play. The URL is like igg.me slash, I can't remember at the top of my head. I think it's like one of those weird letter number combinations. That's what sucks about it. And you wouldn't remember if I told you. So that's why I don't have it in the notes. Um, just do the search. You can also, in some ways, easier 
the Facebook. Ah, uh, the Facebook. Play has a Facebook page that they've claimed, and we're starting to build up the following base there. So if you go to the Play Collaborative Arts on Facebook, uh, you will find links to the Indiegogo campaign there. You'll be able to check out the work, et cetera, et cetera. See some more of the stuff we've been doing about and around the campaign. See some of the other folks who've jumped on board. Um, give it give it a whirl. Give it a whirl. Um, this is one battle in a very large fight here in Los Angeles to make sure that performing arts is accessible on a creative side and on a consumption side to everyone. Because this shouldn't just be a game that trust fund kids and one percenters get to play. Sorry to get a little political, but I got to speak for where I come from which is just kind of a working class dude trying to navigate this world. Um, well, that's a fun note. Listen to my voice. All the cheer is gone. Maybe it's because I'm tired of the junk. Hey, you know what's great, though? You're great. No, I know. No, no, I know. You're saying that I'm just saying that. No, I'm, I'm not just saying that. You make this worthwhile. And I am talking to you. I know you're thinking, like, how can he know it's me? Well, I know it's you. You make this worthwhile. You make it good. Those of you who back the Patreon, uh-oh, here he goes with the money again. Uh, those of you who back the Patreon, uh, you make this show possible. So, you know, this week, because I've been talking about Indiegogo um, uh, for play, I don't want to, like, uh, push the Patreon, so I'm not even going to get the URL. But I do want you to think this way. Uh, if you are a fan of the show and you're not a Patreon backer, um, maybe do me this favor, um, throw the show up in your social media and just say thank you to our Patreon backers. Don't thank me. Thank them. Thank folks like Jeff, whose birthday it is, um, because they're the folks who make the show possible. And next time I'll give the codes and whatnot. And, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, I'll big for money that way. Um, but this time out, I just want, I just want to know that you guys know, which side of the bread this show is buttered on. Uh, and it's made possible by all of you, uh, your interest in this field. And uh, it's physically made possible by the Patreon backers. So thank you guys. Thank you a lot. Um, community is how we survive. Yeah, this one's been a downer. Um, <laughs> I got to figure out the I got, next time less coffee and I'll, I'll do the next one with a cocktail, I swear. I swear that was a fun time. Um Hey, if you want to reach out to us and let us know what's up, if you've got a show that you know about, if you're making a show, if uh, you want to write me and say, like, please never be this depressed on the air ever again, um, write us at no underscore proscenium at outlook.com. You can also tweet us at no proscenium. Uh, you can tweet me at Noah J. Nelson and you can find everything. No proscenium.com is where everything is. All the links are there. Uh, medium.com slash no dash proscenium is where you find our criticism and other essays that both myself and Zay write. Um, that's the show. That's the show this time. I know. Um, maybe a little somber. Uh, maybe a little embattled. Uh, maybe with good reason. Look, uh, all is all is not bad. All is not lost by any measure. Although I apologize for just whacking the table with the coffee cup. Um, but sometimes when you're in a campaign, you're kind of like, well, okay, that's what it feels like. Uh, 
I have, I have measured hope. And I know that there's folks here in town who are, and, and across the country, who are working this immersive angle in, um, in a solid way. And that's not going away at all. What form it takes, we're all still figuring out. And we're going to figure it out together. And that's why we do this show to figure it out together. Okay, next time, something completely different. And until then, I'll see you at the show.